Brothers to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. So this game of rugby, what's going on? Rugby Football Union. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> well, we were just briefly discussing uh, uh, Owen Doyle's commentary and Jordan Murphy's commentary of the Exeter uh, Montpellier game and Wayne Barnes's uh, sending a player from the field of play for foul language, which I wholeheartedly endorse. I thought it was exemplary refereeing from... Uh, from Barnes and uh, Jordan Murphy's comment really uh, sort of surprised me. Jordan's been a he can he's been a bit loose lipped before, but he was saying that there's too much bat chat, too much uh, chatting to the referee and cursing at the referee in the game. And he was, I agree with him. I, like I, I, Brent Fanning was given out about uh, uh, commentators having to uh, apologise for players cursing on the on on the through the referees, Mike. But that's part of the broadcast deal. The, the commentators like they have to do it. But like there's 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 loads of it. Can't wait to start this podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do start again. That was no dry. no. That was straight roll jive. With it, roll with it. Roll with it. Straight jive. Other things like too much, uh, too much patting players on the head. Too much refereeing. The referee, like all of that stuff. I think can be. Uh, it's it's actually relatively easy to uh, to cut out of the game, and it's just by penalising players. It's a penalty against you for talking too much. You're or referee in the game when there's already a referee in the pitch. But, you know, it goes back to, unfortunately, like a really bad standard was set by Erasmus. I know he was disciplined for it, but like the level of criticism of referees. No, we're going to have to start this game because Adamson was shit and I want to criticise him. <laughs> no, 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 keep, keep rolling. I, I, think it's, I think it's a legit conversation. You're going to get on to me. I'm going to talk about the terraces as well. We talked about my two favourite things, my, my dislike of the tele-ref which completely undermined. The Teddy ref was at the heart of, of the Erasmus thing. And like Erasmus wasn't, Erasmus was a symptom. He wasn't the cause of this. He was not the uh, the shitting bat that... Uh, that gave us all COVID. That gave us all COVID. No, he was the Wuhan lab. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Teddy ref has a, a the Teddy ref I could happily live without, without the, the, the Teddy, teddy ref. The ref undermines the referee. Yeah. And and we can we can wind this into Adamson. Like I I don't know. Well, I do know. I I we gave out a lot about what a shitty tournament the Champions Cup was, and there was one match on on Friday. So I said, Oh well, geez, I watched this. It was deadly. <laughs> it was a great game. Yeah. And we gave out about Cast. We didn't give out about Cast, but you said like Cast were hard to beat at home, but the B team they weren't really that into it. And I, I'm not sure like how much of a B A minus is. Has somebody said like. You're getting grades for this. Like, is it an A2, a B1, a B3 if they're B team? H2 these um, days. Another thing we can complain about. The. But uh, cast were deadly. And it was a great match. And it was a really good match. And then 
Adamson just decided, right, I'm going to give everything to Harlequins, which often happens at home. But like ridiculous decision, the last one, oh. when the guy stole the ball. And how McNeese gave that try. And I was there thinking, this is a ready up. They don't want to get sued by Toulouse. And oh, that's a great Cast, point. If Cast beat, if Cast win here, they're going to leapfrog Toulouse, which, which means one more team in Toulouse are out of this. <laughs> we have, like, we've lost the best team in Europe and, uh, and they might sue us, um, even though they make up a third of the board. And I, I couldn't get over. Because none of the English commentators, I watched, it was on BT, none of them thought it was a try. They're all like, nah, you can see the boot there in the line and you can't see the ball. Like the ball is behind his shoe that he didn't get it down. And all of a sudden, McNeese is just like, yeah, absolutely unequivocal. We're not showing this again. Bump, try. And they're going, how on earth did you give that one? But that was really quite frustrating. You know, there was four passes. There was that massive turnover not given, which, you know, you can say that he was unsightable. When they go to like the television match official, and here's here's a side rant. Sorry, well, we started off in a whole fucking way off on a tangent. Hopefully we move closer towards the edge of the circle. Um, like people saying, oh, this is a big business. And sometimes they bring in like the reasons that like there should be telerefs is because of degenerate gamblers. Like I find that, like, I find that fucking worst argument I've ever heard in my life. Who's made that argument? What's the argument? I've seen it all over Twitter, like, that people are betting money in these games, and they're, therefore... They deserve it. They deserve, like, a good standard of refereeing. To service your fucking degenerate gambling habit? No. The lads have an ACA on them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What else happened in the in the in the weekend of rugby that, to review? Leinster put a fucking huge number on uh, Bath, who are a very well supported, decent club, so struggling so badly at the moment. And the funny thing was that game started off with Bath not playing great rugby or anything, but being very uh, showing great intensity. And throughout the first like twenty five minutes, their tackling and line speed, you know, it caused Leinster problems. But they can't find a way to score. Uh, they suffered a two two guys. Bayless, they're very quick number eight, um, was covering back and went down the ball and went over like did a like I can't remember what it used to call it in skateboarding, but like literally went face first into the ground and just concussed himself. And then within the next minute off off the scrum from that, uh, Sam Underhill just caught Robbie Henshaw's hip and concussed himself. So they were turning two really good back rows within the space of two minutes. And thereafter, um, they went as flat as a pancake. And Leinster were very, uh, very well organized and then became very exciting in the amount of the amount of points and tries they scored. And had Johnny Sexton. Yeah. Johnny Sexton gave it was oh, it was majestic. And Darren Cave was I, I really liked Darren Cave. I didn't like him as a player. Um superb commentator. I sort of liked he's him as a player. A, he's, he's an excellent commentator. And mm. I sound very I didn't I thought playing for Ulster was where he was, and the Ulster guys were sort of oh, I got overlooked by Ireland and they're going, No, he didn't. I went to the World Cup. You went to the World yeah. Cup and nah. He 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 but anyway, really good comment. And he was just full but he was full of admiration for Sexton and praise for Sexton. And the speed of Sexton's thought 
and like his ability to execute. Like he put a little chip through for Jimmy O'Brien. Perfect. It, on a plate. But that one where Bath had their right winger sent off, Leinster had a penalty on the right-hand side. Sexton was on the ground, ran over to the mark and just punted it over to Jimmy O'Brien. And he was seconds ahead of anybody else on the pitch in awareness, in like ability to execute. He, he like it was it was a masterclass mm. of of just how to dictate a rugby match. Yeah, he was great. He was really great. I wonder. Uh, there's one of the most notable things about how Leinster scored all their tries in the last two games, whatever twenty five of them there was. Uh, is there? Maybe only one or two of the whole collection of them was via the meat grinder from five meters out. Very disappointing. Uh, instead, we've been running tries over and putting the ball down. I hate to see it. Uh, not in a pile of limbs. What's what's going on there? Is there? Is it just fundamentally that um, you know Montpellier's whatever rubbish team and Bath's kind of really struggling team <clears throat> are just leaving big spaces, or is there is there something? going on where Leinster's back play is crisper than it has been? I don't think it's crisper. I think that I was surprised how many mistakes, handy mistakes they made in the first half, and particularly Gary Ringrose. I, I thought that Ringrose played himself off the Irish team. Now, he wouldn't have been on my Irish team, and I'm, like, he's a really good player, but look, you look at Aki playing really well, and you look at Henshaw playing really well, um, and you think, geez, well, like, I'll, I'll go with those two. But Ringrose could, Ringrose... He made too many handling errors for, for my like when he's meant to be the skillful centre. Um, and he didn't play badly. Like, he attacked well incisively. So, like, that sort of sounds like an unnecessary dig. But th they did make a lot of handling errors. And then you see uh, Porter, like, throwing an intercept. But it was a comment that Felipe Contepomi made in relation to the previous weekend's match that made me think, no, 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 like, it, it's purposeful. So he talked about Montpellier... And, you know, how strong was the team? But he goes like, look, they're used to 30 minutes ball and play. We brought them to 40 minutes ball and play. Leinster consciously are going out. Like, if you, if you reference a stat like that, you're not just kind of, oh, by the way, like, I'm, I'm into this. And, it, like, it's, it's, you know, it's just one of the things I noticed. Like, you're consciously going out, saying to yourself that our second rows are who? Like, Ryan Baird and James Ryan or Ross Maloney yeah. or Josh Murphy. So like our second rows are light. We don't have a big beefy pack. To so play the power game. We don't have a power game. So we would just we keep the ball moving all the time. We'll aerobically make you suffer. Um and the so there's that. Okay, that's one part. That that's very and then the second part is the way that Ireland play. So when Leinster were the bulk suppliers to Ireland and Joe Schmidt was coaching them, Leinster had to dial back the amount of offloads or the sort of support moves and, and bring it closer to what Ireland will play like because it was too hard to integrate the rest of their players in. And you, you think back to the season that they hammered, the season that Clenethley won the league. 16-17. Leinster hammered the Scarlets in the RDS during the Six Nations and then got worse when all the internationals came back because they couldn't integrate them. They're playing two different games. So with Ireland playing a more attacking game, and it, it's something that... I don't really, there's there's a strain of commentary that says, and I think it's Matt Williams really, but he might be the only person that says it, oh, like Ireland are building on the style that Leinster play. And I'm there going, no, they're not, not really. Like Leinster have to take the style that Ireland play. 
Ireland are going to dictate the terms here. So, like, if, if Andy Farrell... Because Andy Farrell's been playing that style of game for a while. It hasn't been successful. So, like, if, if Leinster were playing like that, they could have plugged into it. So it wasn't really working out. And then this year it started working out. But because Ireland are offloading more and because Leinster are the bulk suppliers, they can afford to be looser, for want of a better word, or more enterprising uh, with the way they approach it. And Yeah, they take more uh, risks. They yeah, take, they more, take risks more risks than they previously did. And I always, I'm fairly, I would say, sanguine about risk taking like porters. Uh, like Draco was given out to him, oh, he didn't need to pass that time. You're going, yeah, anytime something like that, an offload goes wrong, oh, you didn't need to do it yet. But like, that's, uh, at the same time, you, um, obviously good judgment is a part of being a good rugby player and making good decisions. But if if you are looking to make uh decisions which have a greater upside all the time and you are more conscious of taking more risks, sometimes those risks won't come off. You do need to do it, is is the truth of it. And I was chatting with Claire about Drick on the fact that he's better on the media than he thought he'd be. Mm-hmm. But I also said, like, it's much easier. Like, geez, we're in the media. He just turned up, drink beer, eat crisps. We're and big and media. Make, and make sure that you're recorded. Whereas if you're, if you're coaching, um, it's hard. Like it's it's full of effort, it's full of stress, but it's real. Like it's tangible. Like mm. you really know what you're talking about. So like, you, you don't need to pass that bollocks. If you want to play a game where you're keeping the people ball are play, empowered to express you're keep, themselves, no, you're keeping the ball in play for forty minutes. You do need to offload. Yeah. So like when McFarland went up to Ulster, Ulster like did a lot of lateral passing, moved the ball at every opportunity. And effectively, he was saying to them, culturally, guys, this is the way we're going to play. Yeah. So you better learn, like, you're not going to get any bonus points for holding on to it and setting up another rook here. Force the pass and let's go wide. Let's play at pace. And, like, he went out and he got a, a new fitness coach. The guy from Limerick mm. has went up, like, went up, has, has went up. <laughs> yeah, has went up there. In, in, in Michigan's. <laughs> went it. That's a real word. Um, and then the other one was Pat Lamb. And I remember Muldoon, Ivan Muldoon, talking about uh, when Lamb was like his first season and they were like, kick it. John Muldoon or Ivan? John Muldoon's brother, Ivan, was saying about, and then in the second season, they were like, Jesus, they're going to run it again. And And then in the third season, and then like halfway through the second season, going, this is actually working. And then in the third season, they won the league. Mm. Like they were brilliant. But like you have to approach it that this is on. It's not on like when it's right, like it's it's just on. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna play that riskier style because the upside the upside is the way we're gonna win. Yeah, we don't have the choice to play the power game here. So, are you saying that also? Is that not you're saying that like it, maybe it's coming from Ireland, it's coming from Farrell top down towards Leinster, but is it not also a a, a case that Leinster? are reacting to the fact that they have been out-muscled in their last two uh, Champions Cup exits, La Rochelle. I think the Irish point is far bigger yeah. because you can integrate you can integrate the players back in and play that game. You can't play that game at Leinster and then have them go off to Ireland and play a very prescriptive, very detailed game that Joe Schmidt would play and then hope to have them come back and just be offloading and and running like trail lines and and look and looking for the offload when you're told not to offload. Like Leinster still 
they, I still think like the height of Leinster's attack was Stuart Lancaster's first season. Yeah, sixteen seventeen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember we, uh, Keen Keller had left the season before, and we, Adam Byrne played, he scored 10 tries in one ring, and Locko played mostly as a winger that season. I think he scored 10 tries, maybe nine tries. I think he's just scored 10 tries. Like, their wingers were just scoring like 10 tries each. Barry Daly, I think, either that or the next season, scored 13 tries. Like we were just throwing the ball around an awful lot. And as you say, the internationals came back from the 2017 Six Nations and our form with a better team on paper really uh, didn't pick up if anything dropped off. Yeah. No, Reid played really well that season at 12. 10 and 12. Yeah. And I remember seeing matches like where Heaslip would come back and Henshaw would come back and you could see how out of touch they were at the beginning of the match and then because they were so good as the second half progressed they were going I'm kind of getting this and you could see the freedom that it afforded them but they got worse with the better team mm. and like what was it what were you meant to do like you're not meant to pick your internationals because the the guys who are training together all the time are better like you you can't do that in that situation elsewhere Ulster went four from four in the European Cup but they've ended up with a draw Played two games, which, be, which I think will be cracking against Stade Toulousain. Um, what did you think of how they played against uh, Clermont Ferrand? Uh, enthralling game. Uh, they never should have been in the position where they were holding on for dear life at the end. Uh, I think they gave their coach skin failure at the end. <laughs> they were really so dominant in that position. I think they were. 33-17 up or 31-17 up. And then Camille Lopez came on for JJ Hanrahan. And they oh, Claremont, a, a, a switch flicked, and they shredded Ulster's defence. Um, but they'd left it too late. Simple as that. Um, also were very, very good for probably for 65 minutes. And and you know built enough of a score to uh, to get that fourth win out of four, and you know they'd given themselves every chance of a, a good draw. And unfortunately for them, they've drawn the champions in a very, um, in some ways, a very unfair draw. But as you say, those games home and away against Toulouse, they're two cracking, exciting rugby teams. Um, for me, that'll be the, the pick of the of the second round, the round of 16. How come Ulster can only play for 65? Is it just they don't have the squad? Because that's what I think about Connacht. Like, I, I see the sort of the, the reporting about Connacht and oh, maybe I compare it to Munster. And it's like, oh, you know, Connacht lost again. And, you know, last minute heartbreak for Connacht and da-da-da-da-da. But I was there thinking to myself, like Connacht have a smaller budget than all the, than the other three provinces, they, and they just don't have the players. No, like Connacht they, didn't have the players. They, 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 they just, you know, their their first choice forwards are most of them are injured. Yeah, <coughs> that was certainly their tight five, and half of their second choice tight five are injured, and like they're really you're really going to struggle going over to France with that. And I, like I thought they played absolutely brilliant stuff, but I also thought that. In the same way that they had it against the two the two Leicester matches, and the away match against Ad Francais, that they're just run like 
they get penalised too often and they just run out of legs at the end and they won't have the players and, and, and that'll be it. But like, is it the same for Ulster, do you think? No, like for Connacht, it's very easily definable. Like their tight heads for that game were Greg McGrath and Sam Hill. Um So no Philly Bealham, no Dominic Robson, McCoy. So they're down to their at best third choice and fourth choice tight heads. Like Greg McGrath ended up playing a lot of the game, maybe as many as 70 minutes. And he gave away four or five penalties in the scrum. He had a really tough time there. Jordan Duggan played the whole 80 minutes on the on the loose head side. So they have two good hookers, you know, Della Hunt and, and Heffernan. But like on either side, like Dennis Buckley is back in, uh, apparently back training now. But like they were so short of of props in that game and short of second rows. No Thornbury, no Delan. Obviously they lost Quinn Roo before the season started. So their second rows were um, Oshin uh, Dowling, who transferred across from Leinster, and then the young guy whose name I can't remember, uh, Murray. Uh, again, like two, like we talked about Leinster second row of, of Ross Maloney and Josh Murphy. And these, these, these two guys are like, like both good players, but like they're tied five. They just were, they're so short of numbers. And they had to keep on McGrath for longer than you normally would have done with a player conceding that many penalties at scrum time because, you know, Illo's like a 20-year-old tight head. Um, and then they, they couldn't, I, I don't even know who was their, their loose head sub against, against Addy, didn't get on the pitch. So that I could understand in that, like, they're hammered by injuries, especially in the pack. Also, I, I don't... Like, we, we talked about after the Munster game how much they missed McCloskey. Well, you know, they didn't miss him as much in the in the, the next two weeks. But I, I think this was a case of more mentally switching off um, because they did have the game. Like, in, in, in hindsight, they had the game won once they got that fifth try in. And so it turned out to be, but they, Jesus, they gave themselves uh, a real scare at the end. I, I, they played to the end of the match against Leinster, for example. Correct. I don't think they ran out of legs against Munster. They played with their butt instead of their brain. I don't know. They were like just kicking the ball away because mm. they were like, they were basically saying Munster won't score from yeah, 15 14 men, yeah. With 14 men and stop playing because they thought they were doing something methodical rather than rather than they stopped uh, they didn't have the legs anymore would be my take on certainly those two matches fair, yeah. what was great the Ravenhill crowd was great and it gave me a real taste of a full house at a match oh, and I don't know if I get a ticket to the international matches I presume I get one from somewhere but uh, Jesus I'm looking forward to them even if I don't get a ticket I'm still looking forward to them to watching them and a, a crowd being at it, and, and particularly the Six Nations, uh, where there's away fans as well. Like, there'll be 8,000 Welsh guys will come over, and they'll be gagging for it, because they've been in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't just an Irish phenomenon, to state the obvious. Um, it's going to be absolutely brilliant. It is. It'll be very interesting to see uh, who can make an impact into uh, the squad. You know, my, uh, Michael Lowry had another great game. For Ulster, but so Hugo Keane was had a, another fantastic game for for Leinster. Larry, I think um, Larry, I think has an uphill struggle. To I, I, I think Hugo Keenan has been near flawless for Ireland, and um, 
and he's been equally as good for Leicester. He's just playing such great rugby, does so many things well. Uh, Larry is, is playing great. And in the words of a famous coach, sure, aren't we lucky to have them both? <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the four Irish teams getting through, and that that was... Maybe it lacked the drama because of the walkovers and you knew which way things were going to work out. But then I was counting up, the, like, France of seven teams. Mm. Seven of their teams got through to the knockouts. So for as much as people go, oh, the French don't take it seriously, um, <laughs> cast were the only ones to miss out. Yeah. And five English teams and four Irish teams. Well, Jerry Torney made the point that... Uh you know, although it's although it's probably easier this season to get into the knockout stages, none of the Scottish or Welsh Scots teams. Scots and Welsh don't have anybody. Yeah. Italians don't have any Italians didn't have anybody to qualify mm. like in, in the beginning. But you think like Treviso won the Rainbow Rainbow Cup. The big one. Um the big one. And it's I don't know, like it's a reflection of how strong and well Irish organized, and how yeah. well organized. That just over the like, it, and I think well organized more to the point that it isn't like. Look, it could have been three teams, it could have been two teams, but if you if you average it out over the course, and I'm on like we we we've gone on at length about like just what a poor job the EP or ECP or whatever has 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 made of that tournament. But Jesus got winning, they just keep the same format for the next few years. Because I, I actually agreed a lot with Matt Williams on what he was saying about changing the format oh, yeah, again yeah, and yeah. again and again. Like, you're better off just going, at least it's consistent. I thought Williams' article was the best one he's written in a long time. I absolutely agree with him. It's a, it's a realistic parallel to draw between uh, the current European competition and Super Rugby competition. Because we remember... Very well when when Super Rugby sort of broke in the Northern Hemisphere. It's a long time ago now. I think I was like 11 or something. Super 10s? Super 10s was the first one I remember. I know the Super 6s existed before that. But Super 10 was the first one that I remember. And it was just revolutionary. It's the only rugby you wanted to watch. Uh, and then sort of Super 12s for the longest time. Uh, it was a great tournament. But then once they started expanding beyond that, like they fucked it up. They don't fucked it up. And they changed and they went to conferences and then they got different teams in. And then one of the teams, they just some of the teams weren't competitive at all. And ah, like it just too many time zones. Like so for the teams that were playing in it, like the South Africans ended up going to the Northern Hem like so all that sort of stuff went on. And well, yeah, the, the thing that's got really gonna get squeezed though is so I mean <clears throat> It's like, do you want a team from Western Australia in? Do you want a team from Hong Kong or Japan in playing in this like gigantic tournament? It's like that, whatever, seven, seven French teams, four Irish teams and five English teams. Five English teams. Like take away one Irish team, take away one French team, take away one English team and throw in three South African teams if they're good. Like that's what it'll be like in two years time. There still won't there won't be any Welsh teams. Therefore, those clubs just the people refuse to go to the games, and the Welsh efforts all seem to be on the national team. The players' efforts, yeah, national team, and they also support their club game more, their semi-pro and amateur club games more, for example, than um, the regions. 
No, not more than the regions, but they do more. They put more money into their clubs. When I say their clubs, not like not the regions. They're semi-professional clubs and you know historic amateur clubs, and there are a few doing their equivalent. But um, but the, like that semi-professional Welsh Premier League, like that doesn't fucking work. Edinburgh top of the log at the moment, and Glasgow beat Exeter at home. I, I thought Glasgow. I thought Glasgow would have got through with that result. Mm. Uh, thought it would have given them a good opportunity. But at the same time, like I saw a bit of uh, the Bulls and the Stormers at the weekend, and like going down to play in South Africa is going to be a different beast for a lot of players. Like Marcel Cotia was on the bench for the Bulls, came on and played in the half that I saw. But I was there thinking he looks small. He's he doesn't look particularly big. <laughs> There's <laughs> like, just such a bunch of giants down there playing the power game. And and they play like Loftus the grass like it's it's the summertime like, like the grass in Loftus is green and short it's like a snooker table like it's yeah. green and short and it's it's just a different environment to play rugby in massive problems with the exposure of the cameras as well because that's a huge bright sunlight complete shadow um, yeah it was, it was sort of interesting to watch wasn't it it but you imagine like Toulouse going down and playing like there was no one there and it's because of COVID, but you sort of go, right, like how will this capture the imagination of the South Africans? Because like, it, it might not at all, or it might where they go and like, we're playing to lose, or we're to playing lose, Leicester. To lose from London. We're playing to, yeah, we're playing <laughs> Leicester, they flew with them. Yeah, yeah, flew with them London. <laughs> and uh, there could be 40,000 people there. Yeah. Could be 30,000 people. Like, I mean, like it, it'll be nuts. Like if there's 30,000 people in Pretoria, to watch the Bulls play Toulouse. That'd be wild. Or play Leicester. Yeah. Or Leinster. Like, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be huge. Particularly the French, because, like, they won't face off again. It'll be so exotic. Mm. I, I keep coming back to this uh, question of where did the, um, the lads who would have played during the international breaks that we would have got in a lot of those games, the, whatever, the Zebra match at home. Where do they get their games now? The like Scott Connacht. Penny's the Connacht. Is that is is it is it that simple? Do they all end up going to Connacht? They got a Connacht. They got a France. There's a lot of there's a lot of third and fourth string players to, to go around, and there's not enough rugby matches to go around. There's not enough rugby matches to go around. Uh, there's not enough pro rugby matches. Not anything. Um, like they need to the. URC would be well served and the unions which make up the URC would be well served to start a minor league and that sort of goes against conventional opinions of isn't it great to see so many players playing for their clubs and um, I have a, a different opinion it seems to the, practically everyone that I read where I go not really like I think that the club should be for amateur players and um I don't think it's a it's a good method. I don't think it really amateur players, including academy players, I should say. But I don't think it's a good method for preparing players, and I don't think it makes any financial sense for uh, the IRFU to be paying lads through their provinces uh, to play club rugby, like paying them like eighty eighty grand, seventy grand, and playing like twelve matches for Lansdowne or Tyre or Con. Like Peter Dooley should be playing for Connacht at the weekends, not for Lansdowne. Scott Penny should be playing for Connacht at the weekend, not for UCD. And that, like, nothing against, nothing for UCD or Lansdowne, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, um, 
No, but I agree but with you. But what happens, like, the other thing that I was just thinking, what happens if they start going to play for the Welsh teams? That they just go, do you know what, like, you're not good enough for Leinster, but you can, because you think, oh, they go to France, they go to England, they go to Wales. Like Ty Byrne did. Yeah. You know? Or they go to Exeter, like, sounds like Jack Dunn is going to do. And uh, Sean O'Brien from Connacht went yeah. last year. But he, he's not getting his game, and, like, he was, he was an academy player. Mm. Who went over? This is the third Sean O'Brien. This is the third the Sean O'Brien. Yeah, the center. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that'll be a feature. But then I think the players will leave Ireland, and hopefully, they'll be in a position to come back at some stage. So it, like, like Golden Delan isn't that old. I was, I was amazed no, when you were going through the born age 93. profile. Of who who yeah. was the second row partner? So Thornbury is is born ninety three as well. Thornbury and Land are the same age. Yeah, I think of like Thornbury as like a young fella. No, nope. still his time. No. Whereas I think of Ulti as a bit of a veteran. But no, like nothing like it. Ulti was playing for Ireland when he when he was twenty three. He debuted under Joe Schmidt in yeah. uh, twenty sixteen. Came on against England. Yeah, burst somebody at his first carry. With the ball. Absolutely, and burst everyone him. fucking loved it. Well, yeah, yeah. An absolute people's champ. He is a people's on. champ. Yeah, he always played. Think about Ulti's. Oden played really well for Ireland. Like, he typically played some of his best rugby for Ireland. You know, not always not always the most consistent for Connacht, in my opinion, but most of his, his best stuff for Ireland, he was, like, very frequently, you know, a, you know, a 7.5 to 8, 8 out of 10 man. You know my love of, of rating players by numerals. Well, what I'd love to see... 7.65, maybe. Is that one, a sort of pathway where it's like someone goes away for two years... And you know, I just want to see a minor league so I get more value out of my season ticket. <laughs> but someone goes away for Fucking two years. Extortion. They're sort of like the tight burn path where they go away for two years and come back. Uh, you know, some they play they they develop so much that someone's looking for them. I, I mean, I don't know the financial viability. Of this. I also love if, like some of just like managed to go down and play like club rugby in New Zealand or something like that. I think that'd be yeah, well, Thornbury did that. Um, and not the only not the only one. I'm trying to think of who else did that. Uh, Jack yeah. Regan, who's went up. Yeah, who's now in with the Ospreys. Uh, that's a nice move for them. It's a good guy, yo, overseas experience, the OE. But no, my um, my feeling is like it's it's a really big issue for aren't we the Pro 14 or Celtic League before was you know very easily disparaged, but. Irish will be built its structure around that and that there was a lot of games and there was game professional game time available for young players and a route through uh, a steady climb through the ranks. Like when there was a, a, a an A competition, the Celtic Cup or the British and Irish League, then uh, the Celtic League slash Pro 14, then the Heineken Cup. The Heineken Cup now, the standard of the Heineken Cup this year has been shit. Like Ulster have had some good games. Leinster's games have been a fucking facile to the point of embarrassment um, and like some of Munster's games have been jive like the Wasps team were terrible how did Wasps beat lose? I have no idea and Leicester no idea I genuinely have no Sandwich idea sandwiched like, by that, being beaten by Munster by double figures both games yeah like that Wasps team like obviously I think both sets of players were shaken by the injury um, Thomas, Thomas Young, uh, Thomas Young. Yeah, which, which was unsettling because the second half after that was very poor, but like what's for poor throughout the game? Like their out half was like had an absolute shock. Atkinson, I've rarely seen such a poor performance from a professional player. Um, so you know that, but like the games that the games that uh, 
the Irish clubs have played, some of them have been the easiest games. It used to be like the Heineken Cup was always a big step up from the league. Like the Heineken Cup, the Leinster's Heineken Cup games were a massive step down from any game they played in the league this year. Fire school games. So there's a whole new paradigm about the structure of the season. Now, we go into some sort of remission, uh, like a going backwards towards the season because there's a whole bunch of games that Leinster have to catch up with. They've got a postponed game against the Lions. They've got a postponed game against Munster and postponed game against Ulster, which they'll play during the Six Nations, which will, again, call back in their, their squad players. Leinster probably 16 players, I think, in the Irish squad. So more than the first 15 missing. So you'll get to see the players who we would have seen previously in the, uh, uh, the matches that have been cut, regular season matches that have been cut, but like, that's not always going to happen. Uh, as we said before, Pete Doody has played in two games thus far this season. Like he was in the Irish squad for the Summer Internationals and he's played like 50 minutes of rugby for Leinster because there's just not a lot of games to go around. Yeah, it's going to have to get solved by the players uh, finding other avenues to play because there's going to be there's a, it's going to be a production line of Leinster players yeah. still still being produced by the the schools to a lesser extent the clubs and then by Leinster itself. Yeah, yeah. there'll be a production line of Munster back rows. There is, you know, there's, there's going to be a production line of Ulster backs. Yeah. Stuart Moore, James Hume, Michael Larry, Ethan McElroy, uh, Aaron Sexton. Aaron Sexton. Uh, like, there's a lot of players out there. Ben Moxham. Um, little. Little. Like, it's finding, it's finding games. Like, with, with no games during the international windows, it means you can just basically play much more of the same team. Like, you don't need 45-man squads anymore. You could probably, each each of the provincial teams could probably cut five people. I think when you do the sums of it in terms of overall game time minutes and average game time, you could probably cut five to six people from each squad. So much more like a 40-man squad, a 39 to 40-man squad, rather than the 45. Like we've sort of become used to the idea of like a 45 slash 46-man squad. So 45 is three 15s, 46 is two match day 23s. And it's just difficult to... Uh, it's difficult to keep those many guys happy. Like most of those guys will want to actually play rugby. This this came up kind of indirectly a few years ago, and but I think it comes up every few years because the Premiership teams struggle with financing, depending on the whims and whatever of the IRFU buying London Irish, and it would have been a great out. So they could have run it as as a as an enterprise because like London Irish are one of the thirteen clubs and particularly the way it got ring fenced, like they're not going to get relegated. And they, they didn't know that was going to happen, but um, it would be like it'd be a great opportunity. It's so tricky though. You to have to navigate. Players. Oh, really tricky, really tricky. Probably too risky to carry. Like yeah. you have to do it, but you, you could you could build up a different financing model. But like, look, you I, probably I have to launch like a Trojan horse owner. Um, I can't because I couldn't see the premier, uh, the PRL, like the owners group. Take the Saudi money, but we can't have the RFU. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, I can't yeah. see them. I I couldn't see them, and like they would, like they would have said, "Well, these fellows aren't quite Tory enough," and also that mix, you know. And they have different accents, of course, uh, because they're from slightly different parts of London. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Some of them are from the Southwest. That's true. <laughs> These fellows are a mix. I don't know what that acid was from. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, that's something that's been discussed frequently. And you, you see, because there's enough, I think, talent-wise, there's enough talent in Ireland to uh, to have five provincial teams. Uh, like I, well, I'd be fairly convinced of that. Split Leinster in half. No, you see, that's the thing. But the identities, the identities of the provinces are so successful, and there is no name. Like you could go back to the fifth province. That was Tara, a GA reference to you. And I, I understand that. You could go back to having like Tara, you know. But the original Leinster province, <laughs> the total Leinsters. Or you could say that there's the other split. The other split would be like you have a Limerick team and a Cork team. Uh, but the, like to split the strength would be like splitting Leinster, that you have a Dublin team and rest of Leinster. But see, the, the provincial identities are too strong to really countenance that, like to have just go from four provinces to five franchises. If you or, turn Newgrange into a clubhouse pavilion and just put your floodlit pitch out the front, you could tap into something there. Sure, the old Lansdowne Road was older than Newgrange. <laughs> These are both good points. <laughs> No, um, I don't know. My my preferred choice is as as unpopular as that be would be like that. There is a minor league. My my actual preferred choice would be that uh, it's a place with good away games, so that we could play against Belgium, a Spanish team, possibly Spain, or they could go the Argentine route, and that they could have a franchise which covers their national team. Um, so you could have a, a Belgian club team, which is essentially the Belgian national team. Uh, I'd, I'd love that. There used to be there used to be a European Shield competition at third tier, which EPCR were they brought into existence and then folded in 2017, 18, uh, including Romanian teams. But yeah, my, my preference would be to play in the third tier of so uh, like team, yeah, like team from teams from Germany, teams from Spain, Belgium, Belgium Netherlands, Spain. Um, and, and Germany and play like Leinster Austria, Austria Le- yeah Serbia potentially very good at rugby I'd imagine uh, but play play um, play your Leinster A Munster A Ulster A you can't have like treating the refs better and Serbia no that's a, I, uh, podcast, I'm a complicated so. man I'm like <laughs> well you're let you get a sort of swine <laughs> um, I don't want any blowback from our Serbian listeners so let's uh, not go no. there <laughs> But um, that that would be my preference. Was would be a competition which encompasses other uh, encompasses other European countries, and and actually helps to grow the game in those countries and gives everyone a good away day. Now you see how you finance that is is not really viable. Uh, like sending teams on package trips to Benidorm and Brussels and the likes, it's potentially fantastic. But like, who pays for it? McDawson's mates. God bless those bunny lads. Wealthy cartel of beef farmers, 10-14, and Dawson's roller <laughs> I don't know who plays for it in Connacht. Speaking of international uh, rugby and, uh, and tour dates, um, the Six Nations is upon us. Ireland start against Wales. Uh, a friend of mine confided in me today he was predicting an Irish Grand Slam. Oh, Le Shalom Grand. And I said, oh, geez, with the, the schedule of... Um, France way, England you know, way. The, yeah, with the Stade de France and Twickenham on the... That seems a little bit optimistic. And then he said, well, the 
the big ones, France, we, we shouldn't be worrying about England this year, was his bold prediction. And then I thought to myself, we're a year out from a World Cup. Of course we're going to be deadly. <laughs> <laughs> so how deadly are we going to be? Ireland Grand Slam. Uh, if uh, So I, my prediction to him was if, you know, you have a team that's basically uh, uh, Porter, Kelleher, Furlong, Byrne and someone else, um, Josh Vanderfleer and filling the rest of the back rows. Kieran Doris and well, yeah, but Black but, 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 yeah, but then it is. but then Johnny um, Henshaw and Keenan and then like filling the wingers, filling the other centre. I'm like, if you pick that team, they're absolutely 100 percent going to beat Wales on a like full Lansdowne Road post the government announcing that COVID is essentially over. Like the atmosphere is going to be amazing. Yeah. it's going to be like. They might even draft in, um, <laughs> I was going to say Jim Sherman, that's not right. Uh, he was the uh, presenter, uh, uh, fucking, first, <laughs> first the snowdrops. <laughs> oh, Tom McGurk. <laughs> yes, right. get, get Tom McGurk walking around Stevens Green doing a little uh, uh, Six Nations. <laughs> or Six Nations montage. First the snowdrops, <laughs> then the Six Nations. <laughs> Spring is here. Like, I know Virgin Media actually show it now and we don't get to see it on RT. Or maybe RT has some of the games. But anyway, the atmosphere will be... Um, Oh, it'll be so lively. It'll be set up to a tee. It'll be absolutely brilliant. The last game that we went to, the last proper Six Nations game that Ireland had was two years ago on your birthday. Yeah, we went Wales. to Ireland-Wales. Which had, is a great win. And literally had one of the best Six Nations days of my entire life. Yeah, I'm hoping, really enjoyed that. I'm hoping I can uh, summon a ticket from somewhere for this one. So Ireland are going to beat Wales. What else are we going to do? Uh, no grand chalem for anybody this season, in my opinion. Um... Okay, too, 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 too close to call. Too close to call. But the contenders are Ireland and France. The big two. We do not know. Like, do you remember when we went into the 2019 Six Nations? Extremely confident of beating England in the first game. I've never been as confident of beating England. Maybe, maybe in the mid-2000s, but that was buoyed up by the Celtic Tiger. But like I thought we were definitely going to beat England in 2019 and they turned that on its head. And I think Eddie Jones has got another surprise up his sleeve with a new English team. So I don't know. I can't, I can't look beyond the first game. I can't even look to the end of the first game. All I'm saying is I am looking forward to that Welsh game so much because we got, we, did, we played so well for so long against Wales last season. If you recall, Peter Manny was sent off early. We played a lot of that game, maybe as much, maybe an hour, maybe even 64 minutes, 65 minutes with 14 men. And we were, like Ty Byrne had a blinder for the game, but so many players played well. And we were close. And we're much better than we were then. Much better. I think Ireland are going to win it. And the I, championship or the Chalem Grand? You know, I'm a huge fan of winning the championship. Points. <laughs> the only thing is, if France beat us in Paris, I don't know who might beat France. I, I can't remember where their matches are. Haven't. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not really top my head. thinking through it that much. I. I well, they're playing in Scotland because Scotland beat them in France yeah. last time yeah. for the first time. In and they're playing them. They're playing in Cardiff because Cardiff got or Wales got beat in the final match in Paris. So maybe the Welsh beat them in. Um, yeah. 
maybe Finton Russell puts together a full set of games. Like, if you remember Finton's games last season for Scotland, like, he didn't actually play that well. And he got sent off in one of them or yellow carded. Uh, for a foot trip or something? Yeah, he's like fucking stupid. <laughs> but he didn't even play well. Uh, and everyone, like, the Scots were really teeing him up. This is Finton's, this is Finton's tournament. And Finton didn't show up. So if, you know, like, he is, he's, I was always are so they, skeptical. Are finally like, proper dark horses at this oh, stage? I think so. Like, I think so. They, they have, um, as much as anybody, they have a very uh, vocal set of fans in terms of how good their teams are and why they're better than Ireland or et cetera. And they've always, they've been a disappointment for year on year on year, but potentially uh, Scotland could be... Scottish rugby is better run now than it has been in any other stage of the professional game. Like the fact that Edinburgh are top of the log and... um, Glasgow aren't the force that they were, but like they they brought players home at different stages. They've they've players playing in England in particular who are good. Um, they have more they, players. Made, they made Murrayfield more raucous. Yeah, that it used to be a mausoleum, and the tickets used to be too expensive. But it hasn't been like that. It's mm. been it's been more. It's a Celtic system. Like, it's yeah. not feral. It's uh, there's there's a bit of noise in Murrayfield. Yeah. And it, it's it's a hard place to go and play. And they have a Scottish coach, which I think yeah. is a big plus. You know, they have a guy who understands... And they throw the ball around and as well, throw, which, everyone, they, like, and which everyone loves to go and, and see at rugby. Yeah. Any day, they can score a lot of points because the they, have, they have Finn Russell. And they have more players who use names you recognise and who are playing for teams and aren't in the Scottish team. Like, yeah. There was a period there for a while where you could just pick the Scottish team because like, they didn't have that many players. But now, like, they have more players. They're going, oh, why isn't Hugh Jones in this team anymore? You know? Well, we looked at Scotland um, last year. And this is Scotland's Achilles heel. Scotland's Achilles heel is they, they don't have the consistency of selection. Mm-hmm. Where you go, they've got, like, ten, a core of ten players who are always going to be picked. You look at the team, and, like, it always rotates. Yeah. So they actually have, like, a lot of good... Like I don't know, seven out of ten pro players. Yeah, and and they don't have enough. Uh, look at their line selections for for years and years. They don't have enough guys who are gonna like. They don't have a third of a Lions team, mm. a Lions starting team. You know, if if that's your if that's your metric, whereas the Welsh do. Yes, um, and that's been their strength. But but now I, look at like look. I, I think Balakoon is going to be. I I hope like if, if it goes well for Ireland, Balakoon will be the star because you need somebody to come through. To light it up. In a six nation. Like a stocktail. To light it up. Like yeah. a stocktail. Or like a Lewis Reed Samish. Yeah. Or or like a hog. DuPont and, and, and oftentimes like it's 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 somebody from the back three. But they're yeah. the guys who score the tries. Yeah. And, uh, like and that's that's what people get by. But they're also the guys who like who get the meters. The English out half whose name I can't remember at the moment. Marcus Smith. Marcus Smith. Marcus Smith. Yeah. DuPont Entomac. Yeah, like you they are, they are like they are the guys who bring razzle dazzle and who tend to make the biggest impression. I know it's, I know this is something I've harped on before, and it's like Stuart Hall getting the fans vote for player of the player of the Six Nations twice when clearly in in our year one year was pick and was so much more effective than them, and the second year was Biddy V was so much like they dominated the tournament, but like the fans. Uh, that sort of rising tide of emotion is much more 
uh, enabled or set off by backs than it is than it is forwards. Uh, but I was thinking about the uh, thinking about the uh, Scottish backs. So fifteen Hog, ten uh, Finton, and nine Ali Price. Like that's that's like a spine of the back line. Nine, ten, fifteen. Good players, you know, in good form. Um, their age issue is always strange. They've chopped and changed their age so much. You know, will they go with Fagerson or will they go with some other like Blade or somebody like that? The other thing is that the Six Nations is a real supporters tournament. And I think this year, there's been a lot of, there was about, oh, it's longer than five years ago. It's between five and 10 years ago, and maybe for most of that period, the Six Nations was come down from the Heineken Cup. Like it was, you know, you get some bad stayed matches. Whereas I think even if the matches aren't that good to start off with, the crowds are going to go fucking bonkers. Because, like, we we went to um, Liverpool-Barcelona. When Barcelona had Ronaldinho and Messi play for them, I didn't, like, I didn't know, like, I was going to see Ronaldinho in terms of the Barcelona players. Like, Messi hadn't registered. It was 2007, February 2007. And it was it was early February 2007. So everyone, everyone that got paid, um, or was it late February 2007? Everyone got paid sort of like their pay packet and they had Might have been early off. March? No, it, was, it would have been early February. Early February. Yeah. And it was like the first, it was like the first sort of trip after getting paid at the end mm-hmm. of January. Um, people had sort of cleared a bit of the credit card bill and uh, they were going to back off and spend it. And it, like it was brilliant. There's this square in Barcelona. Plaza Royale. Plaza Royale off Las Ramblas. It was just full of scousers kicking a ball around with flags all over the place. And then there was another match. Espanyol were playing the following day. So there was a few They were playing Dutch. against Livorno the next day because there was loads of communist Livorno fans in town in the UEFA Cup on the Thursday evening. <laughs> and the atmosphere was really, really good. And I just think the Six Nations is going to kick in like that. That it's, it's such a trip. It's such a post-winter trip. Oh, it's a festival of rugby, mate. Everyone going is going to be mad. And like last year's tournament was absolutely brilliant. Like there was five good Re- teams in it in Italy. And it was one of the, it was, aside from the fact there was no fans at it, it was one of the like really most enjoyable Six Nations. And not one where you say, uh, not a vintage year. You say, <laughs> one was just like a crackers year. There's yeah. loads of really great games. And Wales got to play against 14 men all the time and nearly won, the, <laughs> nearly won a Grand Slam. It arrives like the spring, and like the spring, it too lifts the hearts. First we have the snowdrops, then the daffodils, then St. Bridget's Day, and then it's time for Six Nations 2013. Be still, my beating heart. I want to take you somewhere.